Since relaunching the podcast, I've been getting a lot of questions via direct message. So I thought for something different, I'd spend some time today answering your questions on the topics you want to get clarity on. If you're interested to know more about gut health, new music from me, how to get involved in crypto, QAnon, parenting, supplements, sprouting, and more, then this is the episode for you. Back to the show, I'm your host, Nick Broadhurst, and that song you were listening to, it was my very first single I ever released, it's called Little Lover, it's my most downloaded song of all time, about 10 million streams now, just on Spotify, and you can check it out, obviously Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to music, you can hear Little Lover, and if you're new to the show, hey, my name's Nick, and I am a recording artist, a singer-songwriter, I am married to the wonderful Melissa Ambrosini. I'm dad to Leo, and I'm a lifelong learner. And this show is really just designed to help you create whatever life you want. Now, today, I decided to answer your questions. And I get a lot of questions via social media. And, you know, I just can't really go into depth via a direct message. I do sometimes send voice messages, and I try my best, but... I really wanted to go into some of the ones I'm getting asked a lot about. So I've bunched these questions into basically commonly asked questions and a few interesting curveballs thrown in for fun. So let's dive in. First question is, I heard you mention on Instagram that you're writing a book. What's it about? Okay. Yes, I am writing a book and this might come as a bit of a surprise. It sort of came as a surprise to me too, but I'm writing a fiction novel. A fiction novel. I'm new to fiction, but I've been writing for a long time. And honestly, I find this process, it's very, very nuanced, of course, because fiction is a whole different skill set to writing fiction. I've been involved in, you know, supporting Melissa through her books. I've written parts of film scripts, obviously written music, but fiction, it's a new challenge. It's exciting. I'm really enjoying it. The book I'm writing is kind of like a spiritual romance. It's based on my life and Melissa's life. And the best way to describe it would be Star is Born, crossed with Way of the Superior Man, and Touch of Fifty Shades of Grey. It's kind of epic, you know, it's um, got a lot of learning in it through story, and it also has sex. <laughs> I mean, it does, but it's conscious sex. Really, really exciting book. I'm really excited to to keep working on this. I'm really happy with the whole narrative so far, and I'll keep you posted. No deadlines, no dates. It's just something I'm doing for fun right now. And we'll see where it ends up and where it gets published. So, yeah, I'm super excited about that one. Stay tuned. If you do want to get updates on things like my book and music and all these sorts of things, 
Best way to do it is obviously watch my social media at I am Nick Broadhurst, but you can also subscribe to my newsletter. I will not spam you. I will only send you things when I have something really important to share with you. You can go to IamNickBroadhurst.com and just go to the newsletter and enter your email. Easy peasy. All right, next question. How do you write your music and stay creative? Like That's kind of a big question, really, because every song is so different. You know, they show up differently. Now, I wouldn't say I'm naturally someone who just gets in flow all the time. I am blessed in the sense that when I do have a song, it comes quite quickly and quite easily, but I'm also kind of cursed with this pitta side to me, this vata side to me that loves to create lots of new projects and do lots of new things. And I do get a bit distracted sometimes. So, you know, I think I've definitely come through a period of distraction. But luckily through that period, I was really lucky to get kind of prolific with my music. I've got about six singles that are coming up. And, you know, I'm pretty excited about these. They range a whole bunch of genres. So my next song is called Moving On. And it's a soul R&B song, which is... And I've never done soul R&B, but I'm really excited about it. I get my sax out and give you some big sax moments. And the next one after that is a piano ballad. Then I'm releasing a really smooth pop song. Then kind of a Coldplay style song. Then a bit of a Radiohead song. And then one of my favorite songs, I'm doing a cover of that. So there's a big diversity of genres and styles, which is really exciting. Moving on should be out in about five weeks and then releasing every six weeks from there. So super excited. But in terms of coming back to the process, you know, I I sort of let the muse show up, you know, what does that mean? The muse, I sort of take the muse as this force, this creative force that is unexplainable, but undeniable. And it's there. And the muse is way more powerful when I show up, right? So if I sit down every day, like this morning I sat down, I said, okay, it's Monday. I'm going to start the week off really strong. And the first thing I'm doing this week is writing a new song. I wrote a song called Starry Nights, which is quite pretty. It's, it's a, you know, I don't know if I'll release it, but I enjoyed the process. And so I just spent an hour writing a song and it gets me in the zone and the muse is there. She shows up. And the muse shows up more when I do, right? So when I show up, it flows. If I don't, it doesn't. But occasionally, I could be on a walk, I could be meditation. And if I haven't been giving the muse her enough attention, she will basically beat down my door during a walk, during meditation, to get my attention and deliver me something. So I might be walking and this whole song comes to me. Or I might be meditating and this whole song comes and I know that she has appeared and I have to capture it, whatever it takes. I've got to just get that down. So often it's just picking up my phone and singing the beat and the piano and the vocals and just getting that moment. I have hundreds of muse moments in my phone, in voice notes. I actually don't go through them very often. So that's inspired me to go and do that. But that's kind of how I show up and it's, I'd like to be more disciplined with it, but um, at the moment I haven't been, but just enough to release music I'm really proud of and consistently. So that's good, but I plan on becoming a bit more disciplined in the coming weeks 
and really delivering you the best music I can. All right, next question. I noticed that you're not working out as much on social media. Have you changed your thoughts around this? So working out, this person's referring to training, like strength training. The best way for me to explain this is that I like to look at myself like an elite athlete. I I really do feel like every single person can, I was going to say should, but can see yourself as an elite athlete. Like, How would an elite athlete treat their body? How would they show up if they were performing professionally? And I think that's a nice way to look at how we can take care of our beautiful temple. Because that's what our temple deserves, right? Now, elite athletes have off-seasons. And last year, I went pretty hard, to be honest. I bulked up. I was pretty muscular. And then towards the end of the year, I got this bizarre gut infection. And it really wiped me out for a couple of months. And so I've just been, honestly, just slowly bringing back in training in a way that feels in line with my constitution. I've had a real shift around training for longevity as opposed to aesthetics. You know, really listening to my body. Last year I had moments where I really, I was just pushing pretty hard and I was on a mission to just, I don't know, maybe prove something to myself. I was relatively nearly plant-based at the beginning of last year and I wanted to feel really strong on this new way of life, this new lifestyle. So that's kind of where I went with it. But this year I've been focusing on yoga, walking, and just starting to implement some really short strength sessions. And I do have another amazing tool I'm going to be sharing with you in a podcast coming soon, but I'm still testing it. It's amazing. Stay tuned on that one. So coming back to the elite athlete, yes, I'm in like an off season, but I'm now, I'm just being really mindful of any time in my life that I'm pushing. I think we know that feeling when we push, right? It feels uncomfortable. And I can feel it in my bones. I've written a song called Bones just about that feeling, actually. So sometimes I just have to surrender. Like, I I really enjoy feeling strong and muscular. And right now I'm a lot leaner than usual. And I have to surrender and just be present and enjoy the fact that I'm healthy. And I am still strong and vital and I feel great. But I have this, I guess, this deep conditioning in society of how a man should look. And I have trained and eaten that way, I guess, for many, many years. And it's just not really a healthy approach to have this feeling of lack. You know, I think there's this fear in men that if we don't eat heaps, if we don't train, we're going to waste away, we're going to lose muscle. I don't know where this comes from, but I see it in a lot of people, a lot of friends. Men, that is. I'm sure women too, but... You know, a lot of people have trouble losing weight. For me, it's <laughs> maintaining the way that I like to look. So I'm sort of rambling here, but I think for me, it comes down to just balance. And I feel amazing when I'm just doing yoga and walking and a bit of strength training here and there and not being super hard on myself. That said, I will go through another season where I'm just like, let's go, let's bulk up, let's get strong. I, I do enjoy it. The trick, though, next time is to do it without pushing too hard and really, really, really tuning into my body. Okay, next question. This is totally different. What is the best way to get into crypto and why do you think it's so good? Okay, so this question, obviously someone has seen me speak about 
crypto and blockchain on my social media. It's no secret I'm a massive fan, right? I really am. I think that this technology, the blockchain technology, will essentially rule the world. Um, it's incredibly exciting. And this is not, I'm not going to go into depth here about what blockchain is, what crypto is. To be honest, it's incredibly complex. So I've decided I will do a series on this, right? But in 2017, I first, I kind of stumbled across this. A friend of mine, Mike Sherbakov, we were in Greece. We just met each other. We were doing this service trip. We were visiting refugees in the refugee camps there in Greece. And we met each other and decided to go on a trip together with Melissa and some other friends to Santorini. And we were speaking about crypto on the on the ferry on the way over. And I was fascinated. And a few things sort of just fell into place. I found myself in this crypto group in WhatsApp. And it started out pretty small, maybe 50 people. It's about 240 people now. This group is one of the most influential groups, I would say, in the world. And I sort of just fell into it which meant that I came across some amazing opportunities and super grateful for how that transpired in 2017, 2018, during that really big run in the market. But things have changed now, and it used to be focused on what were called ICOs, initial coin offerings. But now the big buzz is around DeFi, and DeFi is decentralized finance. Guys, it's huge. I can't even begin to explain how big this is. And what a game changer this is. Anyone who discounts Ethereum, Bitcoin, or anything really in this space doesn't understand the technology. It's as simple as that. What we have happening right now is the single biggest transfer of wealth in history. It's happening right now. What else is there to say, right? There's a lot to say. So I'll do a series on it. But for now, definitely go and check out a YouTube channel by the crypto lark you can also follow him on twitter i've been watching a lot of people i think in terms of getting a really good understanding of what it is he's got some great videos on his channel also goes deep into stuff that may go over your head at first but i feel like the crypto lark is the starting point and honestly fantastic advice from someone who's really deep into it and if i could make a recommendation and this is not I'm not making financial advice, guys. Like, let me just make that really clear. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not making financial advice. But here's what I'm doing. One of the things I'm doing. I believe one of the best ways to benefit from this entire new ecosystem, this entire new technology, is by holding what's called Ethereum. And the, the code for that is ETH. I'm really bullish on Ethereum because what's happening right now in the decentralized finance space, the DeFi space, is that the majority of the decentralized apps where this is taking place, they live on the Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum is the home of stable coins as well, and you'll learn about stable coins when I do my series. Ethereum has more developers than any other chain, and there's so much happening in the DeFi space. It happens so quickly. Every single day, you've got to be on top of it, right? To really take advantage of it. It's a full-time job. But if, like me, you're bullish on decentralized finance and can't keep up, then Ethereum is where I place my bets. And I say bets because it is really a bet. Just with anything, don't ever invest any more money than 
you're happy to lose when it comes to cryptocurrencies because it's wild. It's like cowboys, guys. But it's exciting. And I'd much rather you have some awareness around it and not be in the dark about what's coming because it's coming. It's already here, guys. All right, that was not financial advice, remember? Moving on. Are you now the happiest and most fulfilled that you've ever been in your life? Okay. I had this question asked quite a bit, actually. Okay, so when I actually stop and I get out of my head, I get into my heart, I get into the present moment, then yes, I am. But I don't always operate from that space. I'm really, really human. And I can be really, really average. This week, I've just been apologizing constantly to Melissa because I've just been stressed and snappy and, to be honest, a bit of an asshole. I've just been lacking presence. And what do I actually have to be stressed about, really? I mean, I've had a few things not gone my way, funny enough, in the crypto space, speaking about that. Ugh, that's a whole story. But I'm healthy. I'm safe. I'm loved. I have a beautiful son, beautiful wife, beautiful family. What else do I need? I'm doing my music. Life's good. But I'm human. And I do get stressed. I do get snappy. About a month ago, I had this weird stretch of about five nights where I just did not sleep properly. I don't know if it was collective consciousness or what was going on. But after that, like, fifth morning waking up, I was going to bed the following night and I was just, I was literally just sleep deprived. All these weird fears started coming up again, like really old stuff. And it really just made me realize, wow, like, if we don't sleep properly, we are so far from being at our best, like really far. Just from a few nights of not having great sleep, this fear, which I thought I'd dealt with in my life, came on so strong. And it was great because I got to actually look at it and deal with it. And that was just from a few nights, right? So if you're not getting great sleep, it's really time to dial it in. Actually, I'll speak about that in a minute because it comes up. Next question, following up from season one of the podcast, what have you learned about yourself? What's the main lesson? I think my main lesson is, and I don't think I ever really did this, but don't speak in absolutes, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's to friends, family. Don't speak in absolutes because my opinion is just my opinion. It's not necessarily someone else's. So I don't, I've really softened into not giving absolute advice, not giving advice when people have not asked for it. So if there's no worthy inquiry, don't give it. But I think the biggest lesson is that things do change. If you follow me from the very beginning of my podcast, you'll know that I've changed. You'll see my evolution. If I was speaking in absolutes from the beginning, you'd think I was a complete hypocrite. So I think it's just become even more deeply embedded that we change. And that's okay. The world changes. We change. Everything's changing all the time. The only thing you can be sure about is that things are changing. Right? So I'm just really mindful of what I say publicly. Because no doubt, I'll probably change my mind one day. Okay. How are you navigating co-parenting in 2020 and any tips on co-parenting? Yeah, this is a big one for me right now because I'm a bit emotional about it because Leo has been 
away since July, which is a great thing. He's been on this amazing rite of passage in the bush. He's spending five and a half months in the bush, basically. And pretty hard, like military training, but an amazing time for boys, 14, 15 years of age to do it. Definitely been hard to not have him around and not be able to see his face or hear his voice. We can only communicate through letters, which is really sweet, mind you. The biggest thing for me has been that the authorities are, are taking away the control I have over seeing my child, which uh, is really hard to cope with, actually. At the time of recording this, I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that the stars align and I get to see Leo in a few days. If I don't see him in a few days, I won't see him until after Christmas, which I just can't even imagine. So, you know, this has definitely been a challenge for me. And I've had to really look at it because it's brought up a bunch of different feelings for me. If you don't know my story, I live in a different state to Leo. And usually I would fly down and spend two weeks on, two weeks off with Leo. But he's away at camp, which is amazing. He's in full isolation, fully safe. But because of the border controls in Queensland, well, I won't even comment on Queensland's border control policy, but because we live in Queensland, he's in New South Wales, they're not letting him in at this point. So yeah, it's not easy. It's really hard as a parent to have that taken away from you. But it is what it is, and I have to just be present with it and go, okay, well, if everything's playing out the way it needs to be, and if I'm getting the lessons I'm supposed to get, and so is Leo, then it's this is what's supposed to be happening, and it's, it doesn't make it easier, but, you know, I have to keep tuning into that. But in terms of parenting, for me, the same lessons I spoke about in episode 87, the playful side of parenting, they still apply. Like, I really, when we're together, I really just focus on how much fun can we have together? And of course, there's still an element of discipline and rules and things you have to have as a parent, but I'm really trying to follow him a bit more. Because as Leo gets older... It's more and more important for me to recognize his sovereignty. We cannot control our children. We can only control ourselves. We can only control the way that we show up as parents. I'm not his ruler. I'm not his authority. I'm his guardian. It's my job to keep him safe and allow him to express and find his true self until he no longer needs that basic level of protection from me. And then when he moves on, he moves out, he becomes more an adult I have to then surrender and allow for his worthy inquiry and be there to offer that when it's asked for. Leo and all children, they just want to be seen for who they truly are, not for who we want them to be. We can't should on ourselves. We've got to stop shooting on our kids, right? Should do this, should be that, should try this, should try that. I mean, we can make gentle suggestions, but we have to follow their inquiry, follow their curiosity. But more importantly, we need to nurture a, a strong level of self-belief and self-love within themselves. Right? I mean, kids are often seen as a trigger. I don't see Leo as a trigger. I think it's unfair to say that. I think that it's just my own unresolved hurts and emotional issues that the gift of his presence allows me to see more clearly. And as parents, we have to have gratitude for the spotlight that our kids are on the things that we haven't resolved within ourselves. So, I don't know if they're tips. <laughs> it's more of a rant than tips. That's just some of my thoughts on parenting at the moment. 
All right, this is an interesting question. Far out. How are you navigating all the wellness people following QAnon? To be perfectly honest with you, I've avoided going deep into this because, I don't know, I did a whole episode on conspiracy theories. But it is pretty hard to ignore. It comes up quite a lot. And I don't, honestly, I don't spend much time on social media. I'm pretty oblivious to what people are doing. I post and get off pretty much. I do answer direct messages. I actually quite enjoy that. But for something like QAnon, I'm not an expert. So I went out there. I started looking for people who are. And there's this guy called Travis View. And he's studied QAnon and written about it extensively for the Washington Post. And the essence of the theory that he summarizes is this. There's a worldwide cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles who rule the world, essentially, and they control everything. They control politicians, they control the media, they control Hollywood, and they cover up their existence. And they would have continued ruling the world were it not for the election of President Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump, in this conspiracy theory, knows all about this evil cabal's wrongdoing. But one of the reasons that Donald Trump was elected was to put an end to them. And so it would be ignorant of this behind-the-scenes battle of Donald Trump and the US military that everyone backs him and the evil cabal were it not for Q. And what Q is, is basically a poster, a person, a profile on something called 4chan, who later moved to this thing called 8chan. That's a whole other world out there. And Q reveals details about this secret behind-the-scenes battle and also secrets about what the cabal is doing and also the mass sort of upcoming arrest events through his posts or their posts, whoever Q is. It's a mouthful, right? Followers of QAnon believe that there's an imminent event coming known as the storm, where thousands of people, members of this so-called elite, will be, well, I don't know if you want to call them elite, but they'll be arrested, possibly sent to Guantanamo Bay Prison or to face military tribunals, and the US military will brutally take over the country. And the result of the storm will be salvation and utopia on Earth. I mean, is there a high-level pedophile conspiracy theory going on? I don't know. I don't know. I really hope not. I really, really hope not. As someone who has supported anti-human traffic and anti-child sex trafficking for many, many, many years, been my number one thing I've supported financially. Obviously, I hope this is complete nonsense. And do I think it's useful to dive deep into these sorts of theories? Each to their own. But for me personally, no. You know, I, I spoke about this in, I think it was episode 108. And this is what I said. Why have conspiracy theories all of a sudden gone so viral? Millions of people are tuning in live to hear some pretty wild stuff. Millions of people are reading entire documents, watching hour-long videos and seeking out answers. Why? And then it occurred to me that in a time of such great uncertainty, what do people crave? Certainty. This has been a huge time of uncertainty. Everything from what's going on and who can I trust and through to will I be able to pay my bills this month? Are my 70-year-old parents going to be okay? There's uncertainty everywhere. The thing, though, with a good conspiracy theory like QAnon is that the person or people delivering it have absolute certainty. They have a religious fervor to them. This conviction is very powerful. It sucks you in, clearly, because we see millions of people drawn to these alternative narratives like QAnon. 
right? And in particular, people love a bad guy in times of uncertainty. They love having someone to blame. But fear really is the puppet master's best tool. And the greatest trick of fear is for fear to make you its agent in the name of justice. For you to be fighting on its behalf without even realizing you're doing so. To create division amongst those who are once united. That's why for me personally, it's fear, not QAnon, that we're really battling right now. I hope that answers the question because I really don't want to give it too much space because I just don't understand it well enough to do that, to give it, you know, what it deserves. But I do think we have to be very, very careful where we spend our energy. Conspiracy theories suck us in. They're like vampires. They are energy vampires. I'm not saying you can't explore these narratives. Go for it. Just be very mindful of your energy and be very mindful if you start speaking in absolute certainties. Okay, next question. How did you rebuild yourself mentally, physically, and find your purpose? Obviously, this question is referring to the times in my life where I've been off track. Well, in the past. And it's really tempting to look for the latest shiny object, right? And to be really swayed by a new technology, a new supplement, whatever it is. But for me, it's honestly like it is the 101 basics. And it can seem boring to speak about these, but if you're honest with yourself, are you doing them all? Ideally, you would be. Because these are the basics which give you the foundation to express yourself to your fullest potential, to have the best health. I'm speaking about meditation. You know, for your mental wellness, for your spiritual wellness, meditation. When I meditate twice a day consistently, I'm a better human. Full stop. I'm a better human, better husband, better father. I'm more productive, better in my music. And the funny thing is when I get stressed or feel under pressure, what do I drop? Meditation, which is the one thing that helps me the most. Crazy, right? The things that are easy to do are often very easy not to do. And physically, we're talking about having a morning routine, waking up around the same time every morning, having a clean diet, doing yoga, having time in nature, going to bed at the same time every night, getting really nourishing sleep. I mean, it's not rocket science and and maybe it's not super exciting, but this is where you have to be. Yeah, you've got to cover the basics if you're looking to rebuild yourself. And then when you have that foundation, that's where you can express yourself and be more service to the world. Next question. How do you balance your vata, pitta, dosha? All right, so if you're new to the show and new to Ayurveda, then go back and listen to my Ayurveda series one, which starts at episode 21, and my Ayurveda series two, which starts at episode 76. In Episode 81 and 82, I spoke about how to balance vata and how to balance pitta. Now, we all have the three doshas, but we are all so unique. So I can't give you any specific advice or absolute advice, that's for sure. I'm not an Ayurvedic practitioner. I am someone who has gone deep into it because it was key for my own recovery. What you need to understand, though, is just your own unique constitution. You could be Vata Kapha, Kapha Vata, Pitta Kapha, like Melissa is. You could be Tridoshic as well. And I believe one of the best ways to see the world through a new lens, it's Ayurveda. 
And first of all, understand your dosha. Yes, you can do a quiz online. My good friend Sahara Rose has a great quiz. But there's nothing like seeing an Ayurvedic practitioner and having them actually tell you what your constitution is. And then understanding, what does that mean for you? Understanding the basics, study this, go deep into it, have fun with it. Until you get to this point where that level of understanding means you can just automatically, day to day, instantly adjust and pivot when needed. You know, like, oh, that food, that's not going to be really ideal for me. I could probably have it once, but I'm not going to eat that every day. For example, it's winter and your vata pitta and someone's giving you salads every day for lunch. Maybe not ideal. Understanding these basic things and knowing how to pivot and shift, for me, is the magic of Ayurveda. So check out those series, Ayurveda Series 1, Ayurveda Series 2, and I think you'll get a lot out of it, and then go from there. How do you deal with juggling so many different businesses without getting overwhelmed? Well, (laughs) first of all, I don't know if I've ever said I don't get overwhelmed. As I said before, I am definitely not perfect. Human AF. I get overwhelmed. I do. The last week I've been overwhelmed, as I said. Stressed and a total jackass. But honestly, I'm not always like that. It's when I'm just having to manage more than one thing. And those things are big. So if I'm managing, you know, two or three big things at once, it's often too much. I can handle usually one sort of big thing, one launch and some other little things. But when I'm on multiple deadlines with pressure for big things that, you know, impact a lot of people, that's where I start to feel pressure and become overwhelmed. And it all comes back to those basics. Having a routine, meditating, time in nature, sleep, play, clean diet, being organized. I've done episodes on organization as well. It's the basics. That's how you can not avoid being overwhelmed, but manage the overwhelm as efficiently as possible. Next, I'd love to hear your experience with using the Ura ring. That's O-U-R-A. What are your best tips for deep sleep? Okay, so there were two questions put into one because they were relating to the same thing. The Ura ring is a ring. I actually used the original version of that many years ago. I've got the new one now that Melissa and I are using. It was brought on because I had those terrible nights of sleep and I'm thinking, man, what is going on? I need to have a clear picture of this. It's amazing, to be honest. I think it's fantastic. What it does is a little ring you wear on your finger, no Bluetooth, you wear it in airplane mode, totally safe. It stores all the data inside its own memory and it tracks a whole bunch of different things from your heart rate variability, temperature, your movement, activity, steps, sleep, how ready you are in the morning for whatever activities you have that day. It goes really deep. You can dive into the data in a very powerful way. And one thing I've been enjoying is adding what's called tags. So inside the app, I'll tag like, last night I used melatonin. I was experimenting because my REM sleep wasn't as much as I wanted it to be. So I took about three milligrams of melatonin and this morning got up and I saw that my REM sleep increased substantially. So that's another amazing thing is I was in bed last night for like nine hours, but I slept for seven hours and 50 minutes. So I was awake for an hour and 10 minutes. My deep sleep was good, but I was restless. So I was waking up a bit too much. 
right? So then I start looking at, okay, cool. How do I set all that restlessness? And part of it was Melissa got up in the middle of the night, sort of woke me up. Little things like that, which happens when you're sharing a bed. But I can add a tag like melatonin or CBD or, you know, late night on the screen or, you know, went for a walk post dinner, whatever it is. And you can actually see on a chart how these different things are actually impacting your sleep. You need to do it for long enough to get the data to see any trends. But the trends feature in the app is really cool. And so I woke up recently with a readiness score of 56, which meant it literally said, you need to chill out today. Don't do too much. And sometimes it's just kind of good to be told that because my heart rate variability was all over the place, which meant that I wasn't recovered and well rested. Whereas this morning, my readiness was 86, which means today's a workout day. Yeah, cool. I can work out. No worries. I'm not going to push myself, but it was a good score. I had a good sleep and yeah, it's really interesting. And I also like to know how many steps I'm getting each day. I like to try and hit 20,000 steps a day. It's my goal. So yeah, that's the Ura Ring. I love it. And best tips for sleep. Okay. We can talk again about shiny objects and, <laughs> and hacks like Ura Ring and CBD and melatonin, but let's bring it back to basics. Have your last meal or finish eating your last meal at least two hours, ideally three hours before you get into bed. So if you get into bed at nine, then you should finish eating at six. That's the first thing. Second thing is get into bed consistently at the same time, right? As early as you can, really. Depends on family and kids, all sorts of things, jobs, but make it work for you. But I don't believe there's many people on this planet who can benefit from being asleep past 10 o'clock. And if you're the sort of person who says, yes, but I do my best work in the night, I get a second wind. I hate to say it, but you're not unique. (laughs) That second wind is just purely a shift in your energy according to that time of day. From 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. every night, we shift into what's called the pitta time of day. Okay, the pitta time of day. So 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. and 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. is the pitta time of day. It's the fire time. It's the type A time that's why you're getting a second wind it's not because you're more creative and more amazing between 10 and 2 it's just that it's a different i guess dosha it's a different energy of the day a different cycle which is why you want to be asleep before 10 because between 6 and 10 is kapha that's the grounding the heavy period good time for being slow soft digesting right so we have be asleep before 10. I mean, Melissa and I are asleep before 9, before 8.30, before 8 sometimes. And it works for us. But before 10, have your last meal. Finish your last bite three hours before you get into bed. That includes liquids, by the way. So you can have water, but nothing else. Because you want to go to bed with an empty tummy, basically. You don't want to be digesting when you're sleeping. You want to be assimilating nutrients in your small intestine, not digesting nutrients in your stomach. Right, that's how that works. So, the basics. Also, screen time. Get off your phone by 5.30, 6 o'clock, whatever it is. You need to get off your screen. The blue light from your screen is massively stimulating. It tells your body that it's the middle of the day. So it throws off your circadian rhythm. So get off your screens. If you're watching TV, it's cool. You know, we watch TV, we're watching this show on Stan at the moment called The Bold Type, which we're actually really enjoying. 
but we wear blue blockers and the rest of the house is dark, pitch black. So it's really, really dark and the TV is turned right down for its brightness. So we manage that. So blue light blocking glasses are great. I honestly think every single person can benefit massively from blue light blocking glasses. And if you go to blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash Nick, I'll put a link in the show notes or forward slash Melissa. You can get the Nick and Melissa range of blue light blocking glasses, which I've designed in a way that, you know, I just love these glasses. They're super light. They don't get in the way. There's three lenses. There's one during the day, one transitioning into the evening and one when I'm reading in bed. I love reading in bed. I just started reading a book last night called The Book of Longings, which is a fictional story about Jesus and his lover, Anna. So cool. So cool. So reading in bed is amazing. So good. But again, watch the lights. So we actually have these little lights that we clip on our books. They're called Somni Light. S-O-M-N-I Light. We'll link to it in the show notes. I am nickportis.com forward slash 118. They just give out a really subtle red light for you to read under. It triggers sleep, actually. So I can't read for too long. So those, honestly, guys, it's the basics. Full-on basics when it comes to sleep. Do those first before you experiment with other stuff. Next question. What are your tips for healing the gut? All right. Definitely listen to episode 112, 112, the one essential nutrient that can transform your health that almost everyone overlooks. And what that episode speaks about is fiber. And you get fiber from one class of foods, and that's plants. So the science is out on this. And this is kind of an absolute, I should be careful. But the longest lived people today in this modern world that we live in, not 10, 20, 40, 50,000 years ago, which is a different time with different plants, different animals. But right now, with the modern stresses that we live with today, the people living the longest are on a majority plant-based diet. Whatever you want that to look like, 90% plant-based, the last 10% could be whatever, 100% plant-based, if you want. Doesn't matter. 90% whole food, plant-based. That's going to give you so much fiber. And fiber is the key when it comes to healing the gut. There's a lot to it. It's very nuanced. I'd definitely recommend reading the book Fiber Fueled by Dr. Will Bulsowitz. He was also just on Melissa's show, which we'll link to in the show notes. Great, great book. Really fantastic. Four-week program for going plant-based and healing the gut. Love it. It was really fantastic. I also would recommend be careful with how much you eat. Don't overeat. If you look at Ayurveda, the traditional recommendation would be to eat until you're 80% full. And that would be leaving roughly 20% worth of air, a bit of space for liquid and a bit of space for solid right that's the sort of general vibe in ayurveda recommendations and you know it if you eat 80 percent, you're generally about 100 percent full because there's a delay between the communication between your your gut and your brain so don't overeat because it creates what's called anma ama anma which is toxins or undigested food and the more and more you do this it pushes that anma deeper and deeper into the subtler tissues of the body. And in Ayurveda, that's where they say the root cause of all disease is anma. And one of the fastest ways to get that is overeating. Okay. Diversity of plants, eating lots of different types of plants. Don't just eat broccoli and cauliflower. (laughs) It's easy to fall into that trap, right? Go to the markets, go to the shops and pick up things you've never cooked with before or order a mystery box and have 
things delivered you've never thought of. It's great because then you can look up recipes to cook that thing. Like this week we were delivered kohlrabi. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's look up some kohlrabi recipes. That's really important is diversity. Meal timing, I mentioned this before. Eating at the same time every day. I eat at about 7 o'clock, 12 o'clock and 5.30. They're my main meals. And often have an afternoon smoothie. Eat for your constitution. Understanding whether your vata, pizza, kapha are a balance of those. Really understanding your constitution. For me, it's warmer now. I can handle a big salad at night time. Feels good. Really, really good in my body. But if I chew on lots of nuts, I get nut gut and get constipated. So, you know, eat for your constitution. Understand what's right for your body. And try and eat as many living foods as you can in line with your constitution. Living foods are vibrant, full of life. Like I want to be taking in, essentially when you eat living foods, you're eating sunlight. Because we are light beings. Living foods are so important. So I'm experimenting more and more with ways of eating raw foods in a way that's in line with my vital constitution or dehydrating or cooking on very low heats. Like I've been making pizzas lately, which are like a sweet potato, quinoa and sesame pizza, which is cooked really low over like two hours. Things like that. This is fun. So fun. Check out Thrive Foods by Brendan Brazier. Awesome book. So good. Don't eat until your previous meal is fully digested. Huge, huge. As I'm sitting here right now, it's 11.48. I know that lunch is cooking and I can feel hunger, which is great. It's time to eat. Really, really important. And be present when you eat. Be careful if you're watching TV or on your phone. Just stop. Breathe before you eat. Take three big deep breaths in, maybe three seconds in, six seconds out. Get into parasympathetic. And express some gratitude for what you have on your plate. Okay, almost there. Last few questions. I'm going to tear through this now. What B12 supplement do you use and what other supplements are you taking? Okay, this is what I do. This is what I'm doing. So please, you know, this is just me. I'm trying to minimize supplements. I have nothing against supplements. They are a very, very important part of rebuilding if you have a compromised gut. But right now I have methicobalamin, which is a methylated form of B12. I just have it as a methicobalamin drop. One drop a day. So easy. I have a vitamin C for my body type. It loves it. I'm a Vata body type, which is more, we're Vata Pitta, I should say, which is a more sympathetic state, a bit more prone to inflammation. Vitamin C helps with that. So I use a whole food form of vitamin C by Green Nutritionals. Love it. I also take omega-3, an algae oil version of that, which is a vegan version by Green Nutritionals and another brand as well. They're my three basics kind of my non-negotiables, B12, vitamin C, omega-3, that's it. But I also just recently have been playing around with a protein powder called Vega-1. Again, it's by Brendan Brazier, actually. And it's a whole food form of protein powder. It's just full whole foods. It's not supplemented. And I really, really actually feel good with that in my body if I'm doing a smoothie post-workout. I'm not doing it as a supplement. I'm doing it because it's a whole food form of getting a bunch of stuff in, in an easily digestible way when I'm working out. Next, what kit do you use for sprouting? If you've been watching me on social media at I am Nick Broadhurst, you'll see my stories and I'm hugely into sprouting. It is amazing. I love broccoli sprouts so much. They're amazing. I love sprouting lentils and beans and legumes and having them raw on my food. But I balance that rawness out, which is a bit of vata, by making sure I've got some oil or fat with it. So, you know, I'm conscious of my constitution. 
but I want the benefits of the living food. And sprouts are the definition of living food. The kit I use is by Gefu, G-E-F-U. It's not huge, it's a little one, but it allows you to just turn it upside down. It drains out. You don't have to have ball mason jars on an angle, leaning in and blah, blah, blah. It's just a really, really simple way of sprouting. That's Gefu, G-E-F-U. Love it. So good. And they look kind of pretty. What work courses or processes would you recommend for a man to do? <laughs> well, this is a big question. I could go on forever. I recommend all men meditate. I think if I can have men take something from this podcast, it is that right now you are a balance of masculine and feminine. So tap into those more feminine energies, meditation, yoga, beautiful ways to do that. My yoga practice, I love it so much. Oh my gosh, I love it. Not just for the physical benefits, but it just, it softens me. I recommend reading The Way of the Superior Man, reading Multi-Orgasmic Man, reading The Enlightened Sex Manual. So becoming more of a conscious lover. The world needs men and young men, you know, teenagers who are conscious around sex. So important. Women as well, of course. And, you know, we, we've got to start becoming a race of strong, warm, masculine men who, who know how to embrace their own feminine and conserve and acknowledge the importance of the feminine. Like I have so many close female friends in my life, obviously my wife. I've got friends like Tamsin, Mim, Sally, Melissa, amazing, really close friends to me. And they're so inspiring. They're so inspiring, yet through patriarchy, that light has been snuffed for so many years. So long. And I think it's really important that men not only just acknowledge it, but serve it find ways to support the women in their life. Moving on. What's been your best high and your lowest low during the pandemic? My high has been time with my wife. My low has been the uncertainty around seeing Leo. That sucks. Big time. And I think this is the last question. No, second last question. What's your experience with the Apollo Neuro device? Okay, so Apollo Neuro was sent to us Thank you very much for sending it to us, by the way. We are experimenting with this because the founder is going on Melissa's podcast and we always want to speak from experience. It's basically a device that was developed by physicians and neuroscientists. It's a wearable and it uses gentle vibrations to help your body recover from stress. It's scientifically proven to improve heart rate variability, which I spoke about with Uru Ring, so I'm tracking that. Heart rate variability is a key biometric of stress, so... If that's all over the place, that's why the Uru Ring will tell you that you're not quite ready to do anything physically strenuous. And the premise of it is to help you feel more balanced, more calm, and to perform at your best. It helps you become more resilient to stress, so you can focus better, you can have better sleep, you can have more energy. I mean, I'm fascinated. I'm wearing it right now. It's on the clear and focused setting. It's stopped now. I think it was going for 20 minutes. Just gentle vibrations. I'm fascinated. I've noticed differences. I'm tracking it in the app. I put it on Melissa the other night when she was on the couch on her leg and put it in the sleep mode. And she did fall asleep straight away on the couch. So I don't know if it was that. It's early days. We're both playing with it, both fascinated. And we'll share more on Melissa's podcast. Okay. Last question. Who or what inspires you daily? Okay. I can't really think of one person right now other than my wife and my son, because they inspire me to be better. And their love 
unconditional love is my accountability. Thank you for joining me again on the Nick Broadhurst Show. I really hope you enjoyed that. It was a different way of doing the show. Totally just riffing with you guys. You can get all the show notes, everything I mentioned today, I'm nickbroadhurst.com forward slash 118. And if you can share this episode on your social media, tag me at I'm Nick Broadhurst and tell me, like, what was your top takeaway from this? What is your biggest takeaway? What did you learn from this? What did I help you remember? I would love to know. Take a screenshot of the episode and write top takeaway was such and such and tag me and I will personally respond and probably reshare that as well on my socials. And last of all, head into Spotify, search for Nick Broadhurst, hit the follow button and add some of my music to your favorite playlists. And it's also, you'll get notified when my new music comes out, moving on, coming out soon. And remember today to look up, see the beauty around you, see the beauty within you, be gentle with yourself. Be love, listen to your intuition, and as always, have a beautiful day. I love you heaps. Hey guys, just wanted to jump in and let you know that this podcast represents the opinions of me, Nick Broadhurst, and should not be taken as medical advice and are for informational purposes only. Thank you so much. Ciao.